If I was Paul, I think I would have given up on the Corinthians. As we were reading through the book of two uh, Corinthians, particularly the end of it in my growth group, and many of the members of my growth group are here tonight, the thought struck me. How has Paul not given up on these people? Just to remind you of the story so far, have a look with me on the screen. Paul planted this church in Corinth. He appointed leaders there, and then he moved on to spread the gospel elsewhere. However, a bit after that, Paul heard that things had gone downhill, and so he wrote a letter. Now, this letter is now lost to us. We don't have it in the Bible, but Paul does refer to it in 1 Corinthians. Then Paul heard that things hadn't improved, so he wrote the book we call 1 Corinthians. In this letter, Paul addressed the sinful behaviours of the church, including factions, court cases, and sexual sin. Then Paul visited Corinth, and it was painful. Some people still hadn't repented of their sin. After the painful visit, Paul sent a third letter via Titus, another one that's lost to us, and in this letter he again rebuked them. And then we get to 2 Corinthians. And it's clear in our passage today that as Paul is beginning to and planning to visit the Corinth a third time, there are still major problems. There's still people who haven't repented of their sin. Some members of the church probably aren't even Christians. And as we've looked at the last couple of weeks, things have been made even worse by the so-called super apostles, the false teachers who've spread these vicious and untrue rumors about Paul. Paul has poured so much energy into this church, and they've let him down again and again and again. They've even believed the lies about him, rejected him, and slandered him. If I was Paul, I think I might have just given up on the Corinthians, but he doesn't. Today, as we look at the tail end of 2 Corinthians and finish off our series, we're going to look at this deep fatherly concern that Paul has for the Corinthian church. But before we dig in, let's ask God for his help to understand his word. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and the way you speak to us through it. As we look at it today, help us to understand it, to learn from it, and to let it change the way we live in response to all you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as you can see in the outline you got as you came in, I got a bit excited about alliteration. From our passage today, Paul shows us five features of his ministry to the Corinthians. Number one, sticking with people. Number two, serving. Three, strengthening. Four, straight talking, which is really about discipline or rebuking. And five, supplication. Now, really, this just means prayer, but prayer doesn't start with S, so I'm going with supplication. <laughs> Let's have a look at the first one together, sticking with people. Read with me from verse 11. It'll also be up there on the screen. I have made a fool of myself, but you drove me to it. I ought to have been commended by you, for I am not in the least inferior to the super apostles, even though I am nothing. I persevered in demonstrating among you the marks of a true apostle, including signs, wonders, and miracles. How are you inferior to the other churches, except that I was never a burden to you? Forgive me this wrong. As Paul notes here in verse 11, he really should have been commended by the Corinthians. After all, he was the one who planted the church. He mentored and raised up the leaders, and he had continued to care for them through his letters and through his visit again and again, despite their spiritual immaturity. 
But instead of commending Paul, the Corinthians criticized him. They accused him of being weak. They accused him of being inconsistent. And they accused him of even being corrupt. But Paul persevered, as he says in verse 12. Even in the very act of writing this letter of 2 Corinthians, he's showing that perseverance. Paul's ministry is about sticking with people. Paul realises that he's got this important role to play in their lives. He realises that uh, God has appointed him to serve as their spiritual leader. And so he sticks with them. Secondly, Paul's ministry is about serving. Read with me from verse 14. Now I am ready to visit you for the third time. And I will not be a burden to you because what I want is not your possessions but you. After all, children should not have to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. So I will very gladly spend for you everything I have and expend myself as well. So as Paul tells the Corinthians he's about to come visit them, he makes it clear that he's not going to be a burden. He won't expect them to pay him. He uses this metaphor of parents with their children. Now, a few of you are parents here, and I'm sure you would agree uh, that being a parent is much more about giving than it is about getting. The exception could be my parents, because I think I give a lot to them. No, no. Um, <laughs> but that's certainly what I've found so far with my three-month-old baby. And there's a picture of him there on the screen, because he's pretty cute. Uh, now, while I'd certainly love for little Caleb to start changing his own nappies, or at least you know, empty out the nappy uh, bin that's getting a bit smelly, that's not going to happen. Being a parent is about service. It's about giving rather than getting. And so Paul will gladly use his own money for the sake of coming and visiting the Corinthians. Now elsewhere, uh, Paul does explain that gospel workers deserve to be paid for doing the work of the Lord. But for the Corinthians, Paul gives up this right. He's not going to be a financial burden on them. In fact, he'll go even further, verse 15, and even expend himself for the sake of serving the Corinthians, just like a father serves his child. For Paul, this is what Christian ministry is, sacrificial service. And sadly, the Corinthians don't seem to have realized this. Verses 16 through to 18 show us that they, probably under the influence of those super apostles, those false teachers, they've even accused Paul of embezzling funds for himself. Now, this is ridiculous. It's the exact opposite of the truth. Paul has not benefited financially from the Corinthians at all. He's given so much to them, and he's taken nothing. For Paul, Christian ministry is service. It's putting others before himself. So why does Paul give his resources and himself? This brings us to number three. For Paul... Christian ministry is about strengthening. Have a look at verse 19 with me. Have you been thinking all along that we've been defending ourselves to you? We have been speaking in the sight of God as those in Christ. And everything we do, dear friends, is for your strengthening. Paul here makes it clear that his aim in writing this letter hasn't been to defend himself to the Corinthians. He doesn't need to. It's God's opinion that matters, not theirs. No, his purpose in writing this book, this letter, is for their strengthening. That's the reason he wrote those four letters. It's the reason he had that painful visit. It's the reason he's going to come and visit them again. 
Paul wants to build the Corinthians up, to strengthen them in the faith, and to see them grow and stand firm in Christ. Paul mentions this again in chapter 13, verse 10, when he says his authority is for building them up and not for tearing them down. You see, Paul isn't writing this letter to be nasty. He's not threatening to come visit them and discipline them as an act of revenge. He hasn't written this letter to make himself look good. No, as an apostle of Jesus Christ, Paul is motivated by strengthening, building the Corinthian church up. And for Paul, building the Corinthian church up doesn't mean he's going to be a people pleaser. He's not always going to tell people what they want to hear. This brings us to our fourth aspect of Paul's ministry, straight talking. Read with me from verse 20. For I am afraid that when I come, I may not find you as I want you to be, and you may not find me as you want me to be. I fear that they may be discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. I'm afraid that when I come again, my God will humble me before you, and I will be grieved over many who have sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual sin, and debauchery in which they have indulged. The problem here isn't so much that the Corinthians are sinful. The Bible makes it clear that even as Christians, we continue to sin. What Paul is worried about is unrepentant sin that some of the Corinthian Christians will be persisting in their sinful behaviours despite multiple rebukes and multiple warnings. Well, as Christians, we're not perfect. And as much as we should strive to be perfect and holy, the reality is that Christians still sin. But Christians need to be people who repent of their sin. That's how we become Christians, and it's how we continue as Christians. It's why we regularly confess our sins together here at church, just like we did before. Some of the Corinthians clearly needed to repent. Paul has taught them and rebuked them again and again through his visits and through his letters. Christians need to repent of their sin. Now, I'm not sure about you, but for me, the first time I read verse 1 of chapter 13, I thought it was a bit random. When Paul says every matter must be established, by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Why does Paul mention this Old Testament law? Well, I think verse 2 helps us out. It says, I already gave you a warning when I was with you the second time. I now repeat it while absent. The Old Testament disputes, they need, needed the um, testimony of two or three eyewitnesses. Paul here is using his previous two visits, visit 1, visit 2, as if they were witnesses, eyewitnesses. And his next visit will be the final test to see if the Corinthians have repented of their sins. It's kind of like three strikes and you're out kind of thing. Now here Paul brings in his straight talking. Read with me from verse 2. I already gave you a warning when I was with you the second time. I now repeat it while absent. On my return, I will not spare those who sinned earlier or any of the others since you are demanding proof that Christ is speaking through me. He is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For to be sure, he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by God's power. Likewise, we are weak in him, yet by God's power, we will live with him in our dealing with you. Here, Paul is giving people a final chance to repent before he returns 
and they're going to have to face the consequences. Now, I'm a high school teacher, and I was a little bit sad this afternoon thinking I have to go back to work tomorrow, um, but I do love my job. Now, I have a year 12 class, and I set some homework for them at the start of the three-week holidays. It wasn't that much homework, probably take them a few hours, and I thought this afternoon, I'll have a little check, make sure that all submitted the work. And I have a class of 20, and three students have so far. Uh, so maybe they're working away as we speak. Now, because of this, I had to send them a reminder email today sent them an email and said, just a reminder that this homework is due, a firm reminder email, hoping that I won't have to punish them when I return tomorrow. Now, like this, Paul is giving people a final chance to repent, not of not doing their homework, but of their serious sin, before facing serious discipline from him in person. Paul shows steadfast love to the Corinthians. He's a model of what Christian leadership and ministry looks like but he's not afraid to offend them. He's not afraid to tell them off. In fact, rebuking is another way he can strengthen them and build them up. One way that God works in the lives of Christians is through godly discipline and rebuke. I love getting encouragement, but as I look back, do you know what sticks with me more? It's when I've actually had to be rebuked by those in leadership. It wasn't pleasant at the time, it upset me, but it really helped me to change and to repent. When you are rebuked, how do you react? It's all too easy to make excuses or to criticise the person who's rebuking us or to be self-righteous about it, but being rebuked by a Christian minister or a Christian leader is one way that God grows us. Do you see rebuke as an opportunity to grow in your faith. We see Paul straight talking again in verse 5 when he seems to talk more broadly to the Corinthian church. Read with me verses 5 and 6. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you, unless, of course, you fail the test? And I trust that you will discover that we have not failed the test. So the false teachers have caused a lot of confusion. So Paul challenges the Corinthians to test themselves, examine themselves, and see if they truly are in the faith. Again, this is motivated by the desire to strengthen them. See, Paul wants to push them to one of two options. Number one, to be certain and assured that they truly are saved. And number two, to realize that they actually haven't become Christians. See, if the Corinthians test themselves and they find they are indeed in the faith, uh, repenting of their sin, living with Jesus as their Lord, that's great. What an assurance. But some of the Corinthians might have actually had to realize that they weren't yet in the faith. Their persistent, unrepentant sin might mean that they haven't actually accepted Christ yet. And they aren't actually Christians. Now, if this is the case, Paul wants those people to realize this and to then to repent and turn to Christ. I had a friend at uni who fitted into the second category. He thought he was a Christian. But it was so clear, even just from his social media, that he was living a life of sin. Eventually, he came to the realization that he wasn't actually a Christian. He hadn't actually repented and trusted in Jesus. And praise God, realizing this, 
actually led him to become a Christian. The reason Paul gives the Corinthians this challenge is again for their benefit, to build them up, to give assurance to those who truly are Christians and to prompt those who aren't yet to make that change and to trust in Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. Well, Paul is tough on the Corinthian church. He's a straight talker. He rebukes them and he disciplines them when he needs to. That's all for the purpose of building them up. Well, the fifth aspect of Paul's ministry to the Corinthians I want us to see tonight is supplication, which is the fancy word for prayer. Read with me from verse 7 through to verse 9. Now we pray to God that you will not do anything wrong. Not so that people will see that we've stood the test, but so that you will do what is right, even though we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. We are glad whenever we are weak, but you are strong, and our prayer is that you may be fully restored. Paul tells the Corinthians that he's praying for them, that they will not do anything wrong, but they will do what is right. In short, that they will not sin. He also prays in verse 9 that they will be fully restored in right relationship with Christ. A key mark of Paul's ministry is his dependence on God in prayer. And here in this passage, we actually see God's sovereignty and man's responsibility working together. On the one hand, the Corinthians need to repent, they need to change, and Paul tells them they need to do this. And at the same time, Paul here acknowledges that it's God who does the work. That's why he prays for God to help them to do what is right and to be restored. We see this again in the final few verses of the passage. In verses 11 and 12, Paul urges the Corinthians to strive for full restoration, to encourage one another, to be of one mind and to live in peace. And then in verse 14, he says these famous words that we finish our Sunday meetings with each week. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. He's praying in this verse that Christ will work in the Corinthians by his grace. He's praying that God's love will be with them and work within them. And he's praying for God the Holy Spirit to restore their relationship with God and their relationships with each other. Don't yet let the fact that we hear these words each week take away from their meaning. As we say the grace each week, we're praying that the triune God will be with us, will work within us and change us. So even as Paul tells the Corinthians to do things in this passage, to repent, to rejoice, to encourage one another and to test themselves, he prays that God will help them to do these things. That's why prayer is such an important part of Christian ministry. Because God's in control. Christian ministry must be grounded in prayer. Now we're not actually told how the Corinthian church reacted to this letter. We don't actually know how Paul's third visit to Corinth went. But as curious as we might be about that, we need to focus not so much on how the Corinthians reacted, but on how we should react. What are the implications of God's word for us here today? Well, I think the implications for this passage can be seen for both God's people in general and for Christian leaders in particular. Firstly, for God's people. We need to examine ourselves to see whether we are really in the faith, to test ourselves. Now, from this passage, we can see that what characterizes people of faith is this. They repent of their sin. 
It's a big deal when people who call themselves Christians are not repenting. Have you repented of your sin? Even though 2 Corinthians was written almost 2,000 years ago, I think the sins that the Corinthians did are the sins that we still do today, or very similar to the sins that we do today. Which of these are you most prone to? Impurity, sexual sin, jealousy, rage, selfish ambition, slander, gossip, arrogance. Are there any of these sins that you need to repent of? Test yourselves. Repent of your sin. And know that we have the assurance from the scriptures that Jesus forgives those who repent and cleanses them of all unrighteousness. Also, as God's people, how do we react if a minister or a growth group leader or a mentor rebukes us? If you're like me, you're all too quick to justify yourself, to make excuses, or to just discount it. But as Paul has shown here, discipline from a Christian leader is one way that God builds us up. We need to listen when we're rebuked, repent of our sin, and know that this is part of God's plan to strengthen us. Secondly, some implications for Christian leaders. Paul's writing here in a unique situation. He has the authority of an apostle. That's a select group that does not continue today. Our ministers, our bishops, even our archbishops don't have the same authority that Paul does as he wrote this passage. But even though our situation isn't identical, this passage has a lot to teach Christian leaders. If you're a minister, if you're a growth group leader, if you're a youth group leader, a kids church teacher, a lay preacher or service leader, a music team leader, a mentor or a parent, then this passage has a lot to tell you about how to lead and love people in your ministry. And if you're not currently doing one of those roles, but you think you might in the future, then this passage has a lot to teach you too. Let's think briefly about those five features of Paul's ministry. One, sticking with people. Ministry can be really hard and really messy because ministry is about people. People who are sinful, muddled, works in progress, people like you and me. In our ministry roles, let's not be quick to give up on people. Don't just move on or check out because people are hard work. Ministry involves sticking with people. Serving. The word ministry actually just means service. It's what Christian ministry is all about. It's not what we gain. It's about wholeheartedly giving your energy, your time, your money, and yourself to serve others. Remember that in your ministry. And remember, too, the goal of ministry. It's for strengthening, for building up. I know from personal experience, it's actually quite easy to lose sight of that motivation at times and instead to want to build ourselves up. But no, ministry is about strengthening people to trust in Jesus and stand firm in him. Paul's also shown us that ministry involves straight talking. I suspect this is a really hard one for many of us in the way we serve. It's countercultural. It's uncomfortable. It's awkward. But sometimes, if you're in a position of leadership, prayerfully and considerately rebuking someone you lead is exactly what's needed. If someone in your growth group is living a life of unrepentant sin, be clear with them. They need to repent. 
If someone you lead in ministry is hurting a brother or sister, rebuke them. Friends, it can be so hard to do. But assuming we're doing it with the right motivation, it's a way that God uses us to strengthen our brothers and sisters in the faith. Finally, like Paul, as Christian leaders, we need to be praying for the people we lead. Now, I'm speaking to myself here too. Are you praying for those kids in your kids' church class that they will know and love Jesus? Are you praying for the people in your youth group, the people in your ministry team, your own children, your growth group? In Christian ministry, we rightly serve, lead, teach, and correct people. But at the same time, it's God who actually does the work. He's the one who changes hearts. He's the one who helps people to repent and to say no to sin. And so we need to be praying for the people we serve. Christian leaders or future Christian leaders, persevere with the people you minister to. Serve them so that they are strengthened in the faith. Rebuke and discipline them when you need to. And pray for them, remembering that God is in control and he is the one who changes hearts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you uh, for what we can learn from 2 Corinthians. Father, help us to be people who repent of our sin. Father, help us to respond well to rebuke and discipline and see it as a way that you build us up. And Father, for the Christian leaders here, help them, Father, to persevere with the people they minister to, to serve them so that they're strengthened in their faith, to rebuke and discipline them when they need to, and to pray for them, Father, remembering that you are in control. All this we ask in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen.